Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and then in that I rejoice. All right, you're turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 12 through 18 this morning. The title of the message this morning is Joy in Jail. Joy in Jail. If you uh, don't have a copy of the scripture with you, you are welcome to grab one of the Bibles from the, the seats around you and and use that one, uh, or I'll be reading the, the passages. You're welcome to just sit and listen as well. A couple of facts about Paul in Philippians, specifically to this passage. A couple of facts. Number one, Paul is in jail. Paul is in jail, and not some cush, white-collar jail where bankers go. This is jail, jail. The kind of jail you send teenagers to for scared straight. Paul is in jail. It's not awesome. Second fact, Paul is rejoicing. Look at the end of verse 18. And in that I am making the best of a bad situation? No. What's it say? In that I rejoice. Two facts. Paul is in jail and Paul is rejoicing. The question that is forced upon us in that situation is why and how? Why is he rejoicing in jail? How is he rejoicing in jail? Jail, And we need to understand something about joy, especially in this particular passage. This joy is not a vague sense of emotional well-being in a bad situation. This is not a sense of everything's going to turn out okay, I just need to hang in there kind of joy. Or this isn't the sort of joy that says, sure, the meal isn't good, but at least I have a meal. Stiff upper lips sort of joy. No, this is joy that has specific situations as its uh, catalyst. He is rejoicing about a particular thing. At Christmas, you open a particular package, you like what you get, and you have joy at receiving this gift. You're not having a vague sense of Christmas joy. You're having a very specific sense of, I got what I wanted joy. And that's the kind of joy Paul is talking about here, which doesn't make any sense. Bro, you're in jail. There's nothing to rejoice about. The question is, how does he have joy? Why does he have joy? What is the specific set of situations and circumstances that are so joyful that he can experience joy even though he finds himself in prison? So let's look at that a little more closely. Look at verses 12 and 13, Philippians chapter 1. Did I say Romans chapter 1 earlier? I didn't? I probably will now. Um, just substitute that. I want you to know, brothers, that what has uh, happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Joy in jail, because the guards 
hear about Jesus. Joy in jail because the guards hear about Jesus. A company a long time ago made a little paste-like substance, and this paste substance was designed to clean wallpaper. And what would happen during this particular time in history was most homes were heated by coal heat, and most stoves were heated by coal uh, heat. And so what people would do is buy this wallpaper cleaner, and they would rub this paste putty-like substance over their wallpaper to get the coal soot off of their walls, because that's gross, especially if your kids are writing messages in it. So they would take this and rub it all over their walls, and they would get the coal soot off, which was normal for coal soot to be on the inside of your house, but it was gross. So you would use this putty to wipe off your wallpaper to get the coal off your walls. Well, over time, sources of heat changed. Homes were beginning to be heated by natural gas and electricity, and this company found that sales of their wallpaper cleaner were falling despite funding the coal lobby. No, I'm kidding. They didn't do that. A woman writes into this company and says, I've been looking for wallpaper cleaner, but I can't find it because fewer people are using it, but I need it. My kids love playing with it. They can shape it into all kinds of different things. And they thought, well, this is great. It's made from your household, anything you can find in your kitchen, basically. And so this company took their wallpaper cleaner, added color to it, and changed the name to Play-Doh. And they sold more wallpaper cleaner as Play-Doh than they ever did as wallpaper cleaner. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened has really served to advance the sale of wallpaper cleaner. At first they thought, tragedy, we don't have enough market. And now all of a sudden what has happened has actually served to advance what I want to have happen. This is precisely what Paul says is happening. Something terrible has happened. He has been imprisoned. But precisely what he actually wanted was happening. The gospel is being proclaimed to people who had never heard it, and so he had every reason to rejoice. He had joy in jail because guards were hearing about Jesus. If Paul's personal goal was personal freedom, he had no reason to rejoice. However, his goal was not personal freedom. His goal was the gospel proclaimed to people who had not heard it, and it dawned on him. Guards haven't heard it. And it dawned on him, I would never have an opportunity to have a conversation with an imperial guard or a praetorian in the course of time. There is no way to get in touch with these people. And if you did, you wouldn't want to. But now he has been forced into a situation where people who would never have heard from Paul now hear from Paul every single day. And so joy in jail is the result that his precise goal was being accomplished. His prison term was serving to advance the gospel into parts of the culture that would have never heard of the hope of Christ. So in Paul's mind, this is a positive development, an unplanned, profitable opportunity to share the gospel with those who had never heard it. And now it says all the guards knew why he was in jail. Look what it says in verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul has made it clear that he is in jail because he trusts Christ and he's proclaiming Christ. So this tells us two things that the guards know. Number one, they know Christ. What do they know of Christ? They know Christ suffered. 
Why would they know that? Because the way this is worded in the original, what Paul is saying is the guards would testify. I am suffering in and for the suffering Christ. The guards themselves would have enough theological understanding, he's saying, to describe my suffering as suffering with Jesus. So that means the guards would have had an understanding of who's suffering. Jesus' suffering. So you could imagine a conversation between Paul and a guard. Paul would say, you've heard of this guy Jesus. Yeah, we nailed him to a cross. He said, for a while, he suffered. He suffered, and the reason he suffered was not to die a martyr. He did not suffer to die a political death. He suffered a sacrificial death where his death on the cross was in place of you for the punishment your disobedience deserves. He suffered to serve you, prison guard, praetorian guard, imperial guard. You're disobedient to God, and so God himself died on the cross so that your penalty would be paid for. Not only that, he rose from the dead, that you might have hope forever. All you have to do is trust him. So now the guards would understand, according to Paul's testimony, Paul is suffering with Christ because the guards understand authority better than anybody. How does authority work for a guard? The guard does what the master says and what the master does. So when Paul says, my master suffers, the guard would understand, if your master suffers, therefore, you suffer. Because no servant is above his master. Any imperial guard would understand this completely. So when Paul says to a guard, my Lord and Savior, my master, Jesus Christ, suffered on the cross, and look at me, I'm in prison, the guard would say, you're like your master. You're suffering in him, and you're suffering with him. This means the guards heard the gospel. Paul couldn't say this if he hadn't shared with them the specifics. Christ died for sinners, and when we put our faith in him, we receive new life in him. Not only that, they understood and would have testified Paul is not in jail for politics. Paul is not in jail for breaking the law. Paul is not in jail for any of these reasons. He is in jail because Jesus put him there. And the guards testified to this, and because Paul understood what the guards understood, he had great joy because it meant these guards were walking testimonials to the work of Christ. The guards heard the gospel in words, and they saw the gospel in Paul's humble service to Christ, the suffering king. And this brought Paul great joy. He rejoiced that these guards get to hear about Jesus. Joy in jail not because he just has Jesus and everything's going to work out. Joy in jail because he has a specific opportunity for the gospel he never would have had before. Just a quick question to consider on this point. Why did Jesus come? Of course, we know this. He came to save sinners like you and me, didn't he? He came to die on the cross to save sinners that when we put our faith in him, we receive forgiveness of sins. The question we're forced to, to confront in Paul's testimony is here, do I want what Jesus wants? When I'm in jail, I don't want guards to hear about the gospel. I want an appeal, and I want to get out of jail, right? And the question is, in that moment, if I want joy, the trick is not to finally convince God to want what I want. I just described all our prayer lives. Tell me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong on this? 
90% of our prayers is trying to convince God to want everything I've ever wanted. Now, I'm throwing this all under the bus here, myself included. Paul's joy was found not in the fact that God, God finally got on board to give him everything he wanted. Paul found joy because his heart had finally been altered enough that he wanted everything God wants. And we will fight against that tooth and nail. Trust me, we do. And by we, I mean I, but mostly you. No, I'm kidding. You know that. Joy in jail does not come when God finally gets on board on plan A. Joy in jail comes when I finally get on board with what God is into. The gospel in this difficult situation proclaimed to those who otherwise might not hear it. Do I want what Jesus wants in this moment? Whatever this moment is for you. Whatever moment Christ has put you in right now, whatever moment you're in right now is not an accident. It wasn't like God went on break and came back and said, oh my goodness, what happened? In this moment, wherever he has put you right now, he has a deep desire that the gospel might be proclaimed in that particular situation because there's no way else to get it in that situation except to have you there. And we can find joy when we finally say, not my way, but your way be done, God. Who do you want me to talk to today? Joy in jail because guards hear about Jesus. Continue on. Joy in jail because friends are moved to share Jesus. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, Philippians chapter 1. Now, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's testimony here is, because they know I am in jail, and because I am proclaiming the gospel in jail, it is emboldening others who otherwise might be somewhat timid to share the gospel in their particular situation. Back in 1989, there was a great uprising in China. It was the Tiananmen Square uprising. Anybody remember that? It makes you, yeah, 1989, I was in kindergarten. Um, I, was, I was in high school. And uh, one of the most influential photographs ever taken, it's hands down usually in the top two or three lists of photos, most influential photographs ever taken. You know exactly the picture I'm talking about, don't you? We don't know the guy's name, but everybody calls him Tank Man. There's a guy holding some shopping bags, and he's standing in front of a row, a row of Chinese tanks. Now, we don't know what happened to the guy. No, we do, don't we? He didn't make it. We don't know who he is. We, there's some information that says he was likely taken away after. Certainly, he's dead. But he inspired a whole generation of people who said, we need to stand up against tyranny. His simple act, his simple, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything, but his simple act, and that one photograph has inspired many, actually around the globe, not just in China, but around the globe to say, I can do a simple act today to stand up against tyranny. It became a symbol of resistance. And Paul had joy in jail in knowing that his close friends were moved by his situation to be emboldened into sharing and proclaiming the gospel into their situations. If the goal for Paul was freedom, he failed. If the goal is, is uh, equipping others to share the gospel in their circumstances, then he was successful. And he had joy in that. 
He had joy in knowing in his, his simple act of sharing Jesus with his prison guards, and it would embolden others to do so. It moved him to do so, and the people outside the prison, his friends in the city of Philippi, were emboldened to share Christ as well as those uh, in Rome as well. They all had a shared fear, and their shared fear was this guy. His name was Nero. Nero was crazy. And I'm, I say that carefully. I don't want to insult crazy people. This guy was crazy on crazy. But he wasn't, hadn't gone completely bonkers yet. It was probably two, maybe four years until he goes completely nuts, killing every Christian in sight. But everybody knew this guy was kind of dicey, and there was a shared fear of this guy that he is going to exert his power to persecute Christians, but Christians around the world, uh, Rome and Philippi especially, saw, wait, Paul is sharing the gospel in an imperial prison? Okay, then I, I could share the gospel with my neighbor. I can, now, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but, but I can, if he can share the gospel knowing that in any moment a guard could lose his temper and kill him, then, then maybe I can share the gospel with my neighbor, even though he may report me to authorities. And Paul took great no joy in knowing his friends were emboldened to share the gospel. Paul was in, uh, made uh, uh, aware that the circumstances he was in were being used by God, not just give him an opportunity to share the gospel with the people around him, but the circumstances he was in were being used to impact the lives of the believers around him. Look what it says. Most brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. What does that mean they were before? If they have become confident, before that they were pansies. That's the word you're looking for. That's all of us. We're all scared to tell the gospel. Listen, your kid gets a good grade at school, you're going to tell every person in your place of employment, and you're going to get the rolling eyes. You don't care. Your kid does something good on the athletic field. You're going to tell, and heaven forbid, it's in the newspaper. You're going to photocopy that. You're going to hand it to every person in your office, and one or two of them will be like, yeah, okay, great, thank you. Do you care? No, you don't care. My kid's amazing, and you're going to hear about it. Jesus comes and dies on the cross. We put our head down and get back to work. Because something is moved in us. I don't care what you think. I want to share good news. My kid is awesome. There is something in us, that some, a, a sense of timidity, a sense of intimidation, a, ten, a sense of, of, of fear. And don't give me this, oh, I'm worried I'll do it wrong. Of course you're going to do it wrong. We're just scared. All of us are scared. Okay, let's, let's do it. Who's scared to share the gospel? Raise your hand. It's just me, really, because now the whole sermon's blown. We do this, encourage that. Who's, who, who finds it intimidating? Share the gospel. Oh, we do. It's scary. Don't let that stop you. The, the question is here, is, has something happened that is worth sharing? And Paul is saying, I am sharing the gospel in prison, and something about that situation has convinced the people outside of jail, say, wait, this is a thing. We can share the gospel. I can go and, and blow it. I can do it wrong. I can end up in jail. I can be laughed at. But I can have joy in knowing that I have gone and done what Christ has done, told me to do, which is share the reason for the hope that is in me. And Paul took great joy 
from knowing he encouraged others to share the gospel. Every year, it comes up at the beginning of November. I won't tell you the date because then you won't come. Um, we have a service that we set aside to pray for the persecuted church. It's an important time where we, together with other Christians around the world, share the burden of saying those suffering for Christ need prayer. Here's the thing. Oftentimes when we think of the persecuted church, we are praying that God may make them like us, deliver them from their persecution, deliver them from their bondage, deliver them from the suffering, deliver them from jail. Nothing could be worse than if that were to happen. What if the entire persecuted church, think of it, what if the entire persecuted church became just like the American church? That's not a good idea. Now, I'm not meaning to say the American church is bad. Some of you got kind of offended there. Message received then, good. Because what if that persecuted church, under great difficulty, under great suffering, proclaiming the gospel in spite of the suffering, decided to be like us? Or the churches, not this church, the other churches? Is that what we really want? Maybe we should be praying for the persecuted church that we might be more like them. That no matter what, we're going to tell Jesus to our neighbor. And they're going to make fun of us. They're going to stop coming over. They're going to think, think we're religious kooks. Spoiler alert, we're religious kooks. We believe a guy raised from the dead. If it didn't really happen, it's crazy. But it did really happen, and he is our hope. We should tell some people about that. Joy in jail because it moves people to share Jesus. One of the things you need to do in your life is share the gospel and totally train wreck that sucker. You get made fun of, you get your theology wrong, you might even call him the wrong name. I don't know, you train wreck that thing. You can come to church here and tell somebody sitting around you about how terrible that went. And they're going to say to themselves, what? Well, they can do it. I think I can do it. And then you can say, hey, let's go train wreck this together. Because guess what? It turns out it's dependent on the Holy Spirit, not your ability to be awesome in sharing the gospel. And this is how Paul wants the community of believers to work, to go out, share the gospel, see what happens, communicate to each other about what happened that we might be emboldened. Well, if that guy can share the gospel, then I guess I can. I thought I had to go to 17 classes and memorize 450 verses. I just have to tell people why I have hope in Jesus? Well, I can do that. Why do you have hope in Jesus? Because he saved you from your sin. Wouldn't you like your friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers to also have hope? How do you know whether or not your coworkers have hope or not? Here's a test. What do your coworkers do on the weekend? And you say, well, I don't know. Of course you do. You go with them. Good for you. Listen, if your coworkers, hey, let's be honest. If you spend the weekend blasted out of your brains, maybe hope is missing. We've all been there. Now, maybe you're not drinking six-packs by the dozen. I don't know what your drug of choice is, but if you're chasing down numbness, hope is missing. If that's you, you need hope. If that's your coworkers, what does your coworker need? They need hope. What do you have to offer them in Christ? Hope, it's unbelievable. 
say, well, I don't know. They got bigger issues that they need to address. Bigger issues than what the king of the universe can solve on the cross? I don't know if there is an issue like that. They need hope. You can see it. If, you live, if you're a Christian in the workplace long enough, pretty soon you discover people come and ask you stuff. Hey, I want to talk to you about my spouse. Why, why, why are you talking to me about your spouse? And then they're going to give you a story. Say, man, you are a terrible, terrible husband. But you don't want to say that. It's because, for whatever reason, you may never even have told them about Christ, but for some reason, they see something in you. They've come to you and asked for marriage advice. What are they asking you for? They're asking you for hope. You will not give them hope by helping their marriage. You will give them hope by telling them about Jesus. That's why they've come to you, is because they've seen something in how you live and something in how you work, and they notice, I think they have hope somewhere. So tell them about Jesus, because that's where you're getting it. Why do we have hope? It's because Jesus saved us from our sins. Now we need to learn boldness to tell people why we have hope. We need to share him. We need to trust that he can use us when we share the gospel as herky and jerky and awful as it might be. Let's give ourselves permission to share the gospel even if it's a total train wreck. Joy in jail. Because the guards heard about Jesus. Joy in jail because his friends were moved to share Jesus. Verses 15 through 18, Paul had joy in jail because his frenemies were moved to share Jesus. That's right. I said frenemies. What's a frenemy? Somebody you thought was a friend and turned out is not. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter, that is his enemies, the they or I should say his friends, do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the frenemies, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict on me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. There's an old saying, it goes back uh, 50 years, maybe 100 years, we uh, don't know exactly who said it first. It reflects sort of a cynical reality, and it is this phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. No good deed goes unpunished, and this is precisely what Paul was experiencing in prison. He was in prison, he was walking with the Lord, and he was finding his hope in Christ alone, and he was doing God's will in prison, finding joy in, in sharing the gospel. And in that situation, enemies come in to take advantage of the situation, to try and pull away from Paul's support, to pull away from Paul's influence, to pull away from Paul any sense of honor. Joy in jail even though his enemies were moved to share Jesus. If Paul's goal was glory, if Paul's goal was honor, he was a total and complete failure. If his goal was the gospel proclaimed, guess what? Now even his enemies are doing his job. He's winning at this game, it sounds like. His rivals are desiring to be important. His rivals, we're going to discover a little bit later on in the book of Philippians, are sort of what I'd call semi-legalist, hidden legalists. They're hard to detect because this is sort of what they say. They say, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for you in life. Put your faith in him for forgiveness of sins. Oh, that sounds great. Sounds like the gospel, in fact. So someone becomes a believer. Then they say, now to walk with Jesus and experience his blessing, you have to follow the 
the following 10 rules. And in Paul's situation, they were connected with Jewish law. If you want Jesus to bless you and you're a man, you should get circumcised. Excuse me? Boy, this is a little bit further than I thought this was going to go. If you're a really a good Christian, then you should go to the temple and pay the temple tax. If you're really a good Christian, you should observe the, the Jewish festivals. The way we would do it today, the way we would say this today is, if you do and follow Christ closely, he's going to pour out his blessing on you. If you give faithfully, God will give you lots of money. If you pray faithfully, you won't get sick. If you go to church all the time, your children won't get sick. So if you follow these things, you're going to get God to do things your way. It's semi-legalist, and it's a crippling religious system. Because that means every time something bad happens to you, it's because you're a lousy Christian. And it's no way to live. And Paul is astonished that these semi-legalist sort of health and wealth prosperity people were using his influence to gain a following for themselves. And he said, that's terrible. He would have preferred that the gospel would be preached in all goodness and fidelity, but he says, at least the gospel is being preached. At least they're telling people to believe in Jesus, even with all of their other issues and problems. Paul would have preferred good motives. Paul, Paul would have preferred more precise theology of grace. But he said, I will take what they're doing because they're preaching at least Christ crucified. And so therefore I will rejoice, whether in pretense or in truth, when Christ is proclaimed. He was glad the gospel was preached because the gospel being proclaimed was his primary goal. Look at verse 18. This answers the questions. How and why could Paul have joy in prison? Only that, in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice, no matter what. Rain or shine, poverty or wealth, healthy or ill, in prison or free, if Jesus is being proclaimed, Paul says, I'm a happy camper. If you want to have joy, as Paul describes, in your heart, we have to have a heart that is moved by the things that move God, and the thing that moves God most is proclaiming good news to lost people who need to hear it. Joy in jail. Paul was even overjoyed when enemies proclaimed Christ. What is our priority? What is our priority in Christ? Like I said before, is our priority in following Christ doing everything we can to finally get Jesus on board with what matters? And whatever that means for you. Everybody's in a different situation. Or is our priority in Christ getting to the place where I finally get what matters to Christ? And what matters to Christ is the gospel proclaimed. Good news that Jesus died for people who need it, which is everybody. The goal is to see Christ pro proclaimed. The goal is not to be the best and the brightest and the awesomest. Okay, a couple of concluding ideas to end with. What, were, what was the title? Joy in jail. In order to have joy in jail, you have to be in jail. So you're not in jail, at least not yet. It's coming. But you're in something. I don't know what it is. Everybody's in something. 
I've asked this question a million times. It's a question worth asking. If this thing, whatever it is, if this were different, everything would be fine. I, you know, everything would be fine if this, just whatever that is, was fixed. You got that, the big, ugly, hairy monster. You wake up in the morning. There it is, right? If this was fixed. So that's your jail. There it is. You're in jail. Whatever that big, ugly, hairy monster is. I don't know where it is. So the question is, how are you going to have joy in jail? That you get to proclaim the gospel with and if that hairy monster is not going away. So you're sick, you haven't go to the doctor. That's terrible. That's awful. I don't want you to be sick. I don't want to be sick. Turns out, when you're sick and you go to the doctor, they got they send people into the room. They have to come see you. HIPAA requires it. He said, Well, I'm not gonna tell the nurse about Jesus. What are you worried that they're gonna do? They're legally bound to make sure you're healthy. They're not a I mean, they may give you a shot, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. He said, well, I can't share the gospel at work. I might get fired. Let's, put it, let's flip that question. I don't want you to get fired much. If I told you you can only keep your job if you don't share the gospel, what would you say? Some of you go, oh, really? Come at me, bro. Now it's on. But we, see, we flip that. Listen, I've got to be careful at work. Really? I'm not telling you to be crazy. No, I am. A little bit. If I told you, you can only keep your job if you don't share the gospel, most of us, Southern Oregon's, I know you people, you say, oh, really, tell me what I can't do. That's one thing I know about Southern Oregon's. You want them to do something, you tell them they can't do it. Right? But see, that's exactly what we've decided in our head. No, 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 the rules are you can't share the gospel. Listen, first of all, legally, you can but you need to, we need to think about this. Well, I can't share the gospel with my neighbor. They're already Mormons. Okay, so they need it. Can we just be on the... They need to hear Christ save sinners. You can't work your way to heaven. They need freedom from that legal obligation that's going nowhere. It's going to crush them. Gospel rejoicing comes from gospel proclaiming. You will find joy in the gospel when you tell someone the gospel. D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist from the late 1800s, was part of major evangelistic events, mostly in the East Coast, but primarily over in England. He had a lady come up to him after church one day, and maybe I've told you this story before, not after church, but after one of his evangelistic meetings, and she gave him a list of the reasons why his evangelistic meeting was terribly done. He said the message was theologically poor, the music wasn't that great, the venue was not well maintained, uh, the people were not well taken care of, and, and, and his gospel was a little bit too loosey-goosey. He needed to tighten up his speech, and she just didn't like anything about his ministry of the gospel, to which D.L. Moody replied, you are absolutely right on all counts. Tell me how you do it. And she said, oh, I, I don't share the gospel. And he said, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. So this is where we give ourselves permission to train wreck it. Go out and share the gospel, and we can say to one another, I like your way of doing it better than our way of not doing it. Let's not wait until we've had some kind of training. Let's just go out and see if the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. 
Another mistake people make. This was misattributed to a guy named St. Francis of Assisi. Not Sissy, Assisi. There's two ways to say that. Well, that'll get you in trouble. It's misattributed. You probably heard it. I have heard it on Christian radio in this city. Share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Who's used this? Who's heard of that? Not who's used it. Who's heard this? This is terrible. The gospel, by definition, is words. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. He was with God, and he was God. To share the gospel, you have to use words like, Jesus died for sinners like you. Now, we should be like Paul. We should share the gospel and live the gospel indeed. The reason Paul had good reputation with the soldiers was because he told the soldiers, I am suffering with Christ, and they watched him suffer with Christ. So if we're going to proclaim the gospel, we should seek to put it into play. But it's not, if necessary, use words. For your neighbor to come to faith in Christ, they can't just admire the fact that you mow your lawn every week. At some point, you have to tell them, Jesus has moved you to mow your lawn every week. I don't know, whatever the connection is there. They can't just see that you're living a good life. At some point, they have to confront the reality that they are a sinner and need hope in Christ alone, and those words have to come out of your mouth. And they will get offended. That's the first step in being repentant, is to realize I am lost on my own. But we are going to have to use words. Well, at family meals, we're not supposed to talk about religion and politics. So don't talk about religion and politics. Talk about Jesus. He's neither. Well, I don't want to get into a fight. Don't. Just tell them about Jesus. Don't let them fight. It's not your deal. It just ruined Thanksgiving for everybody. You're welcome. Okay, just a couple more things. You're like, I was done a while ago. Um, I don't care. Um, just a quick question about your Christian life. Just diagnose it. Your own. I'm not judging you much. I, no, I'm judging my own heart. Does your Christian life ever get in that spot where it feels kind of like dry and empty? Like, where is this going? One more sermon, one more Christian song, one more Bible study. You ever get that? It's like, what is this? I, you know, there's a, a theological word for that. This, you're going to really hate this. It's, it's theological constipation. Everything's going in, nothing's going out. And you think I'm being gross. I don't mean to be, be gross. You're awake. <laughs> I tell you what, you share the gospel with one or two people this week, I guarantee your devotions won't be stale. You will be in your Bible trying to figure out what they were asking about like nobody's business. You will be praying like a banshee. You will say, I don't, I don't know how to share the gospel. I just shared the gospel with my coworker. I think he's more of an atheist now than he was before. You will pray like you've never prayed before. You will seek the Bible like you have never sought before. And all of a sudden, the staleness of your Christian life will explode. It'll be gone. Because now you've got a mission. Because that's what the Christian life is. Go and make disciples. The reason we are being equipped is to not merely be equipped. It is to go and make disciples. Share the gospel with somebody. If it's intimidating, share the gospel with the people in your home. Even if they're Christians, they need to be reminded again that Jesus saves sinners like them. If your Christian life feels empty, 
and it feels stale. Like most of us, it is primarily connected with the fact we got a lot of gospel coming in and not a lot going out. It's time to just go out and tell somebody about Jesus today. Finally, as one writer has put it this way, the person you talk to the most is you. Share the gospel with you. If you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you've taken this message and it's really gotten you, you know you've been supposed to talk to that guy at work and you've been resisting, so tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to say, Lord, help me share the gospel with you today. There is a person, he is an accuser, and he will tell you all of the reasons you should not share the gospel. Most of them are sins that you're going to do this afternoon. And you're going to wake up tomorrow morning to share the gospel, and he's going to tell you, you listened to a sermon about sharing the gospel, you then went home and did this, this, and this, really? You think you can share the gospel? So you need somebody to share the gospel with you in that moment and tell you this, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who's going to tell you that in that moment? You have got to tell you that in that moment. You have got to tell yourself the gospel. No, yeah, as it turns out, I am saved by the blood of the Lamb. I don't want to do those sins anymore, but those don't matter. I am saved by Christ. I'm going to tell my buddy about the gospel today. And if he asks, I'm going to tell him, why do I have hope? Let me tell you what I did Sunday afternoon. I still have hope. Share the gospel with yourself. Remind yourself of God's grace and mercy. Remind yourself of his call in your life to holiness. Remind yourself by the grace of Christ. His kingdom is coming. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. How and why did Paul have joy in jail? Whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed.